thank you for joining us for another episode of God, Law, and Liberty with David Fowler, president of the Family Action Council of Tennessee. Every week, we are putting culture, politics, and law on a collision course with the truth of God's Word. And now, here's David. Well, I'm glad to have you on this week's episode of God, Law, and Liberty. Glad to have you joining me. And it was a great pleasure last week to meet many of our listeners at the Fight, Laugh, Feast conference in Knoxville and to meet, hopefully, a few new listeners. And if you're one of our new listeners, I'm glad to have you with us today. And we are in a series right now uh, that I've entitled Building Blocks that follows my discussion of the development and demise of the Western legal tradition. So in other words, what are the building blocks that need to be restored if we are going to restore a biblical understanding and foundation to law that's uh, within the Western legal tradition's understanding of law. I spoke with a gentleman just the other day with a national organization, and I, and I said this to him, and it, and it hit him. He said, I need to write that down if you would repeat it. And, and so I'll share it right now. It is this, that many Christian policy organizations and legal organizations see their mission as to stop the bad. Now, there's nothing wrong with trying to stop bad things. But I said, but, but there's a lack of imagination, of understanding, to establish, re-again, that which is good in the law. When we're having to pass laws to stop something that's bad, most likely it's because that bad has already taken root in the ideology, in the worldview of the culture. And so if we don't respond to that worldview, if we don't try to restore the right worldview, then we'll just have to keep on passing laws stopping bad things. And my goal, my heart, and I hope your heart, is to say, no, we want to restore the good. And to that end, I want to play for us today a clip from one of my favorite podcasts. I hope you're listening to it, if not every week, at least from time to time. It's called Chalk Knocks Unplugged, which you find on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. And the clip I want to play today, it's less than two minutes, but it's an exchange between the host, Chuck Knox, and Jason Farley with Lure TV, uh, former pastor, may still actually be pastoring as well. Uh, but I need to set the context for you because the clip is so short and there's so much that's said in it. And, and this is what you're going to hear. At the beginning, Knox talks about me, saying that uh, he wishes I wasn't listening to the podcast because he knows I'm going to have more to say on this subject. And, uh, and Knox, if you happen to be listening, uh, you're right. I'm now coming back to what you and Jason talked about to say more. So you were prescient in your comment. But the clip, and the reason I want to play it, is it's vitally important to understand what's being discussed if you want to appreciate the transition that has taken place in America with respect to law and our legal system and the importance of the building blocks of creation and metaphysics that I've spoken about the last two weeks to restoring law and to restoring the Western legal tradition. So kudos to Knox and Jason for touching on this in a very helpful, though abbreviated way. I'm going to help us unpack it today. Now, what led to Knox's comment and what Jason then says 
is that Jason just mentioned a book I'd commended to him and to Knox called The Metaphysical Foundations of American History. It's a very insightful book, interesting book. I don't think it's one you have to necessarily go out and read, but if this is the kind of thing that interests you, you might want to read it because you get the non-Christian perspective on the nature of the history that led to the formation of America, a non-Christian history, a history not guided by the providence of God. So uh, if you want to understand that other side of a providential history of America, then that book would be helpful. And I've used that book or material from the book in past episodes. When speaking of the collapse of metaphysics and the reduction of all things to matter, to stuff, that has no given meaning or nature. And that's the world we live in now. That things do not have a nature, they're simply matter, they're stuff, and we ascribe to that stuff what meaning we think it should have. So, as I was speaking with the person yesterday, the person I alluded to earlier, I said, I have people say to me, well, I don't get this transgender stuff. How are they ever gonna get around the fact that males and females have different chromosomes? And and the point is, that doesn't matter. Biology doesn't matter. It is our subjective understanding of who we are that now matters in this world. If we're still arguing about matter and that one kind of person has this sort of matter and another person has this sort of matter, we're arguing under an old metaphysics and an old understanding of cosmology and we're not speaking to the prevailing orthodoxy that says those parts don't matter, it's what you subjectively think you are that matters. That's the collapse of metaphysics. That's the collapse of cosmology, of a belief that God has created the world and given a law and a meaning and a purpose to all things. Um, You remember two weeks ago, I discussed the nature of the parent-child relationship. Does that relationship have a nature rooted in something objective, okay? Or is there no given nature to anything? So we supply the definition and meaning of the relationships that may exist between adults and children. For some, we define the relation as parent and child. Again, it's us defining it. And for others, we don't define it that way. But the distinction is based on functions the adult carries out in the child's life and the regularity in which those functions are performed. So that's how we would distinguish perhaps between a grandparent and a parent. The parent does these certain functions, feeding, clothing, taking to ballet, lessons, soccer classes, uh, going over homework, you know, on a daily basis. But grandparents would be those who may have some relationship to the child who, who doesn't do those things regularly. And then, of course, others might just be a friend because they don't participate in those functions at all or with great infrequency. So that's how the world works when there's no God, there's no metaphysics, there's no givenness, there's just stuff that happens, and we give meaning and definition to it. So it's in that context that Knox and Farley begin a discussion about the difference between a common law legal system, which is part of the Western legal tradition, and a positive law legal system. Now, I've emphasized the word system here because we're talking about systems or essentially foundational worldviews that produce systems. And I'll come back to this distinction after the clip, 
to explain it more fully. But you'll also notice in the clip they speak of negative law and positive law, which is not the same thing as a positive law legal system compared to a common law legal system. What is meant here by positive law and negative law is the difference between particular laws that restrain, that say, no, you can't do that. Uh, it, it would be called a negative law, compared to a coercive law that compels a certain behavior that says, you must do this. Uh, that's a form of a positive law, but it's a particular law, not a system of law. So you'll need to keep that distinction in mind because the conversation bounces around a little bit between systems and particular laws. Now, when they speak of a positive law versus a negative law, the difference might be akin to something like this. And I want to explain all this so that you'll, you'll, you'll be able to better apprehend what they're saying in the clip. Positive law would be akin to saying, uh, you must love your neighbor so you must buy food for him versus a negative law that says you can't steal your neighbor's food. Do you see the difference? Do, do you see, in a sense, our welfare system is a, a, a positive law-based system that says you must do this for the other person versus saying you must not steal from the other person. You must not take the, the product of his work and his labor from him and appropriate it to yourself. Okay? Now, then finally, you're going to hear Jason speak of an author. His name's not mentioned in the clip, but it's Walker Percy. And Jason speaks to Percy's concern about how legal systems are understood when a society is not held together by connections of blood or soil. In other words, in a nation of immigrants like ours. So this is important because as we've discussed the Western legal tradition, it grew up in Europe where there was sort of a hegemony. There were different tribes and territories, but they were all under the, the Catholic Church and there was a different princes and in, you know, and kings and emperors, but, but there was a sense of commonality and it was often tied to the soil and to the traditions of the people and to blood. Whereas in the United States, while we do have a soil on which we sit, we really are a nation of immigrants. We don't have a history that sort of goes back to before we knew anything else, so to speak. Uh, there's a definite starting point, so to speak, with our history of our nation. And we have brought people of different soils, traditions, nations, to, and, and, and systems of law and understandings of law all into one place. So, so what then happens to law when law is grounded on a history and a tradition tied to a community of blood and soil? What happens to law when, when that condition no longer exists? So with that as the introduction, I want to play the clip. You know, it's making me nervous because I'm concerned that Fowler is going to, David Fowler is going to be listening to this and he's going to have so much more to say about positive <laughs> and negative law and he's making me nervous. So I wish he wouldn't listen. <laughs> <laughs> but you've got, but so, um, but it's a shift. You can have, you know, some positive laws that exist within yeah, I would, a common law system yep. and you can have some negative laws that exist within a positive law system. But what it is, is what is the trunk of the right. law? So his concern is what happens in America, right? What happens in America, a people that aren't connected 
by blood or soil when it pushes into a positive law thing. Because positive law is a way of thinking about the law that the law is the thing that creates community. The law is the thing that creates society, mm-hmm. right? Whereas coercion is the thing that creates authority, right? So coercion mm-hmm. creates authority and law creates society, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas in a common law system and, we, and within a Christian understanding is God establishes offices. And so the, the root of the authority in offices is God's love, right? So God gives the gift of offices to a people, and then those offices hold authority, and the people submit themselves to the offices. Now, coercive force um, is entailed in some of the offices. But it's very limited. But it's limited. The offices don't use the coercive force to create anything. The offices use coercive force to protect the space in which things, the community is created. Now there is a lot there, my friends, and I don't know that we'll get to all of it today, but let's, let's dig in. The first thing that I want to note is that Jason made the statement that you can have positive laws in a common law system and you can have some negative laws in a positive law system. So, so what is he talking about? Well, I'm, I'll give you an example. So in a common law system, uh, it was said that there were matters of indifference to God. So, for example, looking at the matter of marriage, a state might choose to help a man and woman prove their marriage down the road when one of them dies or something happens. And there are different ways that can be done in a common law system. Uh, For most, it was done by setting up a licensing scheme. But it can also be done by a man and a woman filing an affidavit with the government declaring they've been married. See, that's what I'm trying to do with the Marital Contract Recording Act to say the state of Tennessee or your state can have their system of licenses, but we believe that marriage is not created by anything the government does by licensing, and that's now how the Supreme Court has interpreted the law, that the statute creates marriage. So see, that's a positive law in a positive law system. There isn't marriage unless you get a license. And because we control marriage and we license marriage, we now define marriage. And we define marriage not as a man and a woman, but any two people. But the common law could have said, wait a minute, the common law can never be indifferent to the parties to a marriage. That's not a matter of indifference to God. It is always a man and a woman. But whether you get a license or you file an affidavit to have proof later that you're married, well, that's a matter of indifference to God. So what Jason was saying, in a common law system, you might have the positive law of an, of an affidavit or a, a licensing scheme, not to create marriage, but to help prove marriage. This is the way to help prove marriage. Now, in a common law system, you'd say, if you've got another way to prove your marriage, that's fine too. But, but here's a positive law about how to help prove your marriage. In the positive law system, they'd say, we create marriage. You can only get married if we give you permission. And because we've created it, we can define it. That's what we have swallowed in our nation and 
and as a church, we have swallowed a positive law legal system understanding of marriage and denied to God what belongs to him that he gave to man and woman. So that's what Jason meant when he referred to the root or the trunk. In other words, you can have positive laws in a common law system and you can have negative laws saying, well, you can't do this in a positive law system. Uh, But the real question is what's the root, the trunk of the system? And we only have a perverse form at this point in our history of a common law system because as I've explained before, the United States Supreme Court says there is no common law rooted in any transcendent realities. That was a case in 1938, Erie Railroad versus Tompkins. No, common law exists by the authority of the state and the only authority is the state. We live in a totalitarian condition and have been since 1938 and now we're reaping the consequences of it. And we're wondering why the government can tell our churches to shut down. Well, there's no transcendent authority anywhere. I don't want to get too far off on the subject, but I need to keep saying this and saying this and saying this until it sinks in, until you can communicate it to others so you can help your pastor understand it or or, or the organizations with which you work understand it or, or the legislators that you have relationships understand it. We've got to understand it or nothing will change. So uh, common law was the idea that law exists apart from and independent of any act of the government because there is a God who has established a moral law. We're going to look at that either next week or the week after. And, and this is important, and has providentially developed that law in the historical development of a nation. See, that's what we were talking about in the Western legal tradition that was taking place over in Europe and particularly in the Germanic areas of Europe as the old folk law of superstition and and tradition, blood feuds and all those other things began to be Christianized and developed as God worked in time and as Christians understood that, that we are moving forward the kingdom of God and Christianizing all the cultural development that that is not in accord with the truth of God per the commission given to to God's people in Genesis 1.28. See, we've lost that eschatology. You remember I talked about that. If you didn't hear those couple of last sessions, podcast episodes on restoring the foundations on eschatology, you might want to go back and listen to them. Now, I'm going to close with this, and next week we'll come back to it. But you'll notice that what Jason was getting into is what then happens in a society where there is not this tie of of blood and soil like you would have had in the Germanic tribes that, that developed over in Europe and the development that of, that took place in England um, with the Anglo-Saxons and the Norman invasions and the mingling of, of blood and, and related to the soil there. Okay, what, what do you do when you're a nation of immigrants? And he says this, and it's very important, and I'll leave you to think about it for next week. I'll leave you time to maybe replay some of this and think about what we've discussed today. 
But the belief becomes that positive law is what creates community. You begin to move to a positive law system because there's not much common anymore between the people of the nation, the soil of the nation, the blood of the nation. And so the common law legal system begins to disintegrate and be replaced by a positive law legal system. That's what's happened in America. That's why it's so important to control who sits on the Supreme Court and who sits in the legislative branch and who sits in the executive branch because we have reduced ourselves to the belief that there are no offices, as Jason talked about. Metaphysical realities, that there is the office of parent that entails certain rights and duties. There's the office of the magistrate. There's the office of the judge. We've lost this concept of offices. Everything's been reduced to mere matter and who has control over the matter. So authority is no longer rooted in an, in an office established by God, but it's rooted in who has the coercive power. And then that coercive power uses law to shape and form the community. And that's exactly what Biden is doing right now with Title IX regarding sex in, in higher education by saying we're going to reshape the community, the understanding of the community, the re-understanding of man and woman, because we now have power. It is a breach of office as established by God and limited by God and confined by God because there is no God in this cosmos anymore. And so coercion is equal to authority and law becomes the shaping instrument rather than God and his providential work in history. Now, I gotta close with saying this. Nothing thwarts God's providential work in history. The wicked are made for God's purposes. He uses them. Proverbs 16, four, I believe it is. And we've talked about that in our eschatology, looking at the last several verses of Isaiah chapter 54. But man thinks he can shape the flow of history. He can form the ideal society. He can create his own Eden. And that's what's so appealing to, to so many, even Christians. If we can just get control in politics, we can restore Eden. Of course, uh, the anti-God have their own understanding of that Eden. That's what's happening in politics. Now, next week we're going to come back and look at this concept of offices that's been lost because we've lost the doctrines of creation and the concept of metaphysics. We're going to come back and look at that and next week also look at how Blackstone takes this understanding of creation and develops law from it. So I hope you'll join me next week on God, Law, and Liberty. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. God, Law, and Liberty is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, please visit us at www.facttennessee.org. That's F-A-C-Tennessee.org. And please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Fact Tennessee.